Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Physical fitness will never, ever make you a worse elk hunter. Elk Shape Podcast number 32 with me, Dan the Fitness Man, sitting down with Mr. Jason Phelps. Not talking elk calling, elk tactics, talking about today, his personal journey on the keto diet as well as doing some intermittent fasting and taking control of what he can control and losing over 50 pounds this off season. Jason Phelps is a great dude from Washington State. He's a blue collar guy, works a nine to five, has his elk elk hunting call, side business, side hustle. And he gets on here today and just drops knowledge on his journey. He's a research junkie. He's learned a ton of information along his way, and he shares that with you guys today. I'm pretty excited to have him on. We do talk a little bit about elk hunting this year and where he's going. He's hooking up with the Born and Raised Outdoors guys and my good buddy Ryan Lampers, Stealthy Hunter in Colorado. So it should be exciting to hear about that. And I just wanted to thank our sponsors Delayed gratification, daily discipline, and hard work. Thanks for making this show possible. If you guys want to support the podcast, go to elkshape.com. Check out my free workouts that I post on the blog as well as the store. has some swag and some training programs. Hope you enjoyed this one, guys. It's a good one, and we'll catch you next time. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. This is number 32 today, bringing on a fellow Washingtonian, Jason Phelps. How are you doing, brother? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's beautiful here today. It is really hot where I'm at on the other side of the state um, and yeah. smoky. What's yeah. it, what are you guys at temperature-wise? Um, we're sitting here at about 92 right now. Um, it'll probably it'll get high 90s here before the day's over, I'm sure. But no fires on our side of no. the mountains. It's not. Look, we haven't had rain since June 11th, and it's starting to look like 2015 where everything was on fire. Yep. Yeah, not good. It's crazy how things have changed over the last decade. I mean, just I've been bow hunting since 2001, and it just seems like now wildfires are just part of the equation, whereas before, never really thought much about it. Yeah. I mean, we're 
on some of our out-of-state hunts we still haven't purchased tags just because it's you know we didn't want to roll the dice so we'll wait and, and ride out the fire season and and switch units at the end if we have to that's a good game plan and then even on your side of the state you got that um those permit private land permit timber companies that will shut you down right away if there's any fire potential danger yeah i, I think i don't think we're too far away another another week of this and uh you know the humidity is going to be too low and they'll probably get shut down and um, if they can't log, they're not going to let anybody on their property. And so it's, like you said, I don't remember this being this bad when I was younger. Um, but over the last 10 or 15 years, it's been tough to get get onto some of this property during bow season. I know, man. I had Spencer Tripp on my, a couple episodes ago. And he's, you know, I just grilled him on Roosevelt's because I'm over here in Washington and I've never even hunted for him, honestly. Yeah. And uh, we, I asked him a ton of questions about kind of, where where to go in washington because dude that's a cheap tag for me i i don't even know what it's like to spend 40 bucks on an elk tag i mean yeah exactly it's like what i can hunt but uh are you still into roosevelt's quite a bit or do you like coming over here for the rockies what do you what's your forte i've i love uh rocky hunting more do i mean yeah you can go kill bigger bulls uh you know horn wise um, I'm, I won't lie. I love Roosevelt's. I, I learned on them. They, they hold a, a special place in, in my heart, you know, but uh, there's something to be said about getting out of the brush. Like it, it, it's not necessarily more work as far as, you know, how steep the mountains are. Um, but it's just, you always got needles on your face. You've always got something going down your back. You're always, you know, in a spot that seems like you cannot get out of. Um, and it's just the brush kind of wore on me. So more for more than anything, um, I just like to get out and hunt more open country, um, you know, cleaner. Um, you know, it's like everybody, I've had quite a few invites. Let's go to North Idaho. I'm like, absolutely not. I, I don't want to leave here, drive eight hours and go hunt a brush hole. You know, it's, um, so I'd say more than anything, it's, it's more of that uh, vegetation I'm trying to get away from than, um, than the actual animal I'm hunting. Definitely. I mean, Roosevelt's are really cool, bigger bodied, good numbers there, but there's just, I don't know what it's going to take for me to like make a commitment to them, especially in our state. I think if I live in Oregon, it'd be a no brainer. I'd be like, okay, August 25th ish, I'll go hunt Roosevelt's for a week and they'll probably talk quite a bit. Whereas here in Washington, you, I never know really what the dates are. I don't pay enough attention to them, but I know it's going to be like some 12 day season, kind of not really good so i go i I go elsewhere man so where are you going this year for elk like kind of tell us your how your plan's starting to come together um you film some of your hunts yeah what are we looking at so we're we're gonna start off on september 1st we'll be in colorado uh with dirk durham uh nick schmidt and then the born and raised outdoors crew um part as part of the land of the free 2.0 uh series and then from there I will uh, meet up with Ryan Lampers and Casey Harbertson of Mountain Ops and uh, Stealthy Hunter. And that's kind of the hunt where, where we're holding off on our tags. We've got a spot X'd out on the map, but depending on fires and what happens here in the next uh, month, we may uh, may make a, a last-minute game-time decision um, either. In, and we'll probably go to Idaho or, or Oregon on that one, um, just depending on where we end up. So that's kind of what my, my uh, three weeks of September are currently looking like it'd be 10 days in colorado and then a day of travel and then 10 days with ryan and and casey uh at the end of september oh man Uh, so you're gonna be putting some miles on the dodge yeah yeah we're gonna we are going to be uh moving uh across the country a little bit 
yeah. uh, during September. Yeah. Let's go into some logistics. Like you have a real job. Some people don't know that. Yep. Um, you do besides Phelps game calls, which yeah. is growing. You're still doing a grind. So tell us what your day job is and how do you kind of, how much time do you get off? Are you taking no pay? I mean, how do you allocate time to go hunting? So, and, and so the job I'm in, I am, uh, nobody probably cares what it's called. I'm the Western Washington regional engineer minus Pierce King and Snohomish counties. Um, so my real day-to-day job is, um, I work for the transportation improvement board. We're a, a small group of about 10 employees and we manage about $140 million worth of transportation, um, budget, um, so within that, I deal with mostly cities and counties that are eligible, and we, we look at projects. Um, you know, so-and-so city needs this new road, so they put in a, a grant application. We evaluate them all, and then we, we select which ones, we rate them, and then figure out which ones need funded. Um, there's some good and some bad. Uh, August 17th is the day that all these applications are due, and it doesn't take a a scientist, to, you know, to figure out that man, August seventeenth doesn't that push you right in uh, to the beginning of September? And so I've made uh, we we work in a, a job that as long as you get your work done, it doesn't matter how long it takes or or when you do it, as long as it's done by a certain time. Uh, so my bosses are pretty lenient as long as I bust my butt and work eighty hours a week those last two weeks of August and and get all my input in. Um, they're okay with me doing some exchange time. Um, you know, I, I load up a lot of my vacation. Another huge benefit that I've got is my anniversary date as a state employee falls on September 24th. So I have to have all my vacation under a certain point by then, mm. and they can't they can't deny it. So I'm like, hey, I got to use three weeks of vacation in September because um, I saved my vacation all year. So. Um, so with a little bit of exchange time, a little bit of unloading all my vacation. Um, I'm able to, you know, squeeze out five weeks. Now it's, it's not easy to squeeze out five or six weeks of hunting, especially with how cyclical, um, my day job is, but, uh, you know, like anything I'm, I'm willing to, to, you know, sacrifice long hours, uh, do what I have to, to ensure that I, I do get to spend that time out in the field. Okay. So you're leaving behind mama bear. Do you have kids? Yep. Two kiddos, uh, eight and six. Um, my wife does do the calls full time. She's, you know, maybe we should say she she manages it more than me, and I'm more of the designer slash marketer. Um, she's been doing the calls full time for a little bit now, and um, she does more of the day to day, more of the inventory projection, more of the vendor uh, management. So uh, between her and my mom working for us full time, um, she'll be home still running the ship while while I'm off playing around okay. on the Elk Woods. God bless her. That's our running joke is on September 1st, I'm, I'm leaving this train wreck behind for you to handle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's cool. I mean, a marriage is a team and uh, <laughs> yeah. in exchange, you're going to bring home the goods. So we'll have yeah, yeah. in the freezer. I've, I've got to feed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I tell her in order for you to continue to stay busy, I have to go out and kill stuff. So it's just, just part of the deal. Unfortunately, I have to do that part. And it's by far the most expensive meat on the planet when it's all said and done, but we'll never admit that to them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, yeah. Don't put a, a dollar pound or a dollar per pound of uh, wild meat. No, absolutely not. You got to have like, you're having a camera on you all year. Do you ever get tired of that? Or is that kind of a new thing for you? Or are you used to it? No, we've, we've always dabbed. I mean, even from like the original born, we were doing some over the shoulder, like real rudimentary stuff. Like even back in 07, 08, kind of the same time born and raised. 
um, you know, started kicking their stuff into gear. And we've always did that. I'm not going to lie. I still think I'm awkward in front of a camera. But as far as the, the hunting goes, I'm fine with being filmed hunting. It's it's when the camera gets pointed to me and I say something about what just happened. I'm like, uh, you know, kind of freeze up. But um, I, I'm at a point where seeing the success of Born and Raised Outdoors, Land of the Free last year and how positive it was. Uh, on the industry, it's like I, I've been given a, a pretty special uh, opportunity to to you know speak out on behalf of hunting, um, you know, reach out to some of these younger people, you know, not even necessarily that, basically anybody that's that's looking for material. And so uh, we decided as a group that hey, let's let's finally get our butts into gear and and do this a little more serious this year. So we have between the group, uh, myself, John Gabriel, Nick Schmidt, my good buddy Tyson, um, and then Charlie and Kelly. We've got slated 15 different hunts um, that will have, you know, cameramen on them, and they're all slated to be, you know, start of the weekend to the end of the next weekend, so 10-day hunts. Um, you know, so a possibility of uh, 150 days. I doubt we'll ever release 150 days. We're going to definitely condense that down. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I like hunting in front of the camera and not so much talking in front of the camera, but I think it'll be good. So you don't have to do any editing of you just got to capture footage every day. Yeah, a little bit of rough cutting um, on us. We're I think we're going to um, contract out some of the posts. That was something that, that Cody had told us early on. You know, running the call company, John running a uh, you know his graphics company. Um, we're just going to be too overwhelmed to do that, and so we budgeted some money to to pay pay somebody to do the post editing. Yeah, it's not going to be me, bud. I'm sorry. Um, So did you switch to 4K, Sony, jumped on that bandwagon yet? We did. I think we're going to – we'll do some stuff in 4K. The majority of our stuff we're still just going to film in uh, full HD. It'll, you know, save – workflow will be quicker. Um, We will film some cinematic shots we know we specifically want for the intros and stuff uh, in 4K. But the I think we'll shoot. But, yeah, we are running the the Sony A6500s. Um, We've got four of them in the group. Um, bought some pretty cool toys, some Zion cranes, um, some stuff to get some artistic shots, but it should be good. Dude. So I'm over here with the full frame Canon and $3,000 worth of glass. And I cannot just find someone to buy it for a decent price and switch. So I'm married to my full frame Canon right now. I'm pretty jealous. I wanted to switch to like the Sony a seven three or whatever, yeah. Um, I'm mainly a steel guy, but I'll do some video. But um, I have messed around with the Sony and filmed some and edited. And, dude, you're like talking double the memory, double the storage, double the gigs, if not yep. triple. Yeah. You're prepared for all that? Yeah. I mean, we've. I think we just uh, – Phelps Game Calls, my part of this – my sponsorship of the, the actual – the project um, was to buy two cameras, and I think I bought 40 – 64 um gig uh cards holy 40 yeah gabriel just bought 30 more um and then we've got two uh two lazy drives five terabyte just for data you know uh, storage backup while we're out in the field um you get a nar box we just we just got the lacy is all we got the two lacy hard drives our, our laptops and then we're gonna try to keep everything on the SD cards as like a, a secondary backup yeah to the external and Smart. so that's really why we've got you know 60 or 70 of these SD cards just to kind of keep a double backup 
my feedback from watching every episode last year was one, it got very addicting as far as like, you know, hunting season's over and you got nothing going on and you're just like, uh, I can't wait for the next one to come out. I'm going to watch it tonight. And you're kind of like the one thing you look forward to all day, which was great. And I don't, I don't envy the amount of time it would take to edit every day, whether anything cool happened or not. Yeah. I mean, your guys' Montana hunt, for as boring as it probably was for you guys, you guys made it very entertaining. I felt like I was right along with you suffering. And Yeah, it, it was – that's one of those – like I after the season was over, you know, you kind of walk away with your face in your hands like, man, you knowing how all the other hunts did, like we just bombed that bad. And then the more, you know, the more feedback you got and, you know, hey, you guys were positive, you guys were funny, um, we can relate to that because, we, you know, sometimes we go out and we don't kill anything, um, you know, but, and so I'm like, dang, that was, that was pretty good, um, you know, feedback and, and it wasn't, you know, I'm, maybe I get trapped up in that killings everything, uh, you know, mindset and it was, it was kind of refreshing to hear, no, you guys did, you know, we loved it. Right. Um, even though it was a, a struggle. <laughs> well, we relish the struggle. Dude, I hate hunting elk at the end of September. Early October's a little bit better for me. Um, but I got to tell you, like, when you're hunting public land elk, by the end of September, they got their cows, they've been called at, and, you know, it's really hard to find unpressured elk. And yeah. I literally have more elk run away from the call than I do have them come in. It's almost like put calls away. But flip that on its head, on the beginning of September, it's really incredible time to be tooting on a horn and we're going to get this out of the way because i don't want people to think we're just sitting here advertising but you do have a new backcountry kind of call coming out like tube let's just cover that real quick because i haven't got my hands on one yet but i know i'm going to need that one this year i don't have the room for my backcountry hunts to carry the bigger tube which yep. i think i've grown fond of i love the sound it can create but tell us about that real quick and when that's dropping yeah um we're gonna we're gonna start doing pre-orders or we will have them it's kind of a a crapshoot on on when the tubes are actually going to show up uh, at our doorstep um but we it's been about about a year in the making and you're like well how does it take a year to design a little baby you know wiffle ball bat and it, it there there's a little more to it so we've been we've spent you know a year a little over a year doing a bunch of 3d printing uh, a bunch of prototyping changing um you know the exhaust hole sizes doing all of that and finally it's here and and so our old tube, which is our unleashed, which is our, our big tube, um, it comes in at 15 ounces and, and maybe even more, um, you know, more of a penalty is its size. You know, so not only are you carrying a tube that's a pound, which, you know, most of us are, we can deal with a pound, but then you, you deal with the 24 inch long, four inch diameter, you know, it, it's got some size to it. And, uh, we've always made it work. Uh, we can make it work on a backcountry hunt, but I'm not going to lie. It, it's always taking up some space. So this new one, um, we're, we're coming in at four and a half ounces with the cover on. So you're, you're under a third of the weight of the big one and it's only 17 and a half inches long and it's only as big around as, uh, you know, your, your, you know, your normal water bottle, your small 12 ounce water bottle. It'll fit in a water bottle pack. It'll fit in an Algene, um, you know, case uh, on your backpack. And it's, it's very, very small now. You know, I'm not willing. I'm the guy that wasn't willing to give up much on the sound quality, mm-hmm. uh, the vo- the volume. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'll just scrap this idea if I can't get it. Well, when I got the first prototype in my hands, and I cranked on it, I'm like, oh, this sucks. Like, this isn't going to work. We're we're going the wrong way. Played with it for quite a while, um, and I realized 
and this is why we test a lot of our calls at 50 yards off or 100 yards off, that it wasn't so much of what sound was coming at the end. It was kind of what I was getting behind the tube. Um, that bigger, more solid tube was projecting everything out front a little bit more, and uh, I wasn't hearing it on my own ears as I ran the call. Well, we did some videoing and uh, some, some testing with some buddies, and when you get out 50 or 100 yards, there wasn't really any difference between the big tube and the, the small tube. Now, I will say there is some difference. I think that, that bigger tube still going to have a little bit uh, richer tones. It transitions a little bit better. It's got a little more volume and a little more depth. But with that said, to take this little tube that does everything just as well, you know, 90% as well as that big tube does was something that was pretty, uh, uh, you know, impressive to me. Um, we've got a chance to, to demo that prototype in front of uh, people at seminars. Um, last week, we took it up to the Northwest Mountain Challenge, and people are extremely impressed. And uh, the overwhelming response is um, there's not much difference at all. Really? That's great. Um, so I was I was there, by the way. I just never saw any of you guys. That was a great shoot. I just yeah. I didn't see anybody. I had two kids, my wife. We got there, rode a chairlift, made it through 13 targets, which is more than I thought we would. And then we had meltdowns. And it was like, <laughs> get off the mountain for time. But uh, dang it, that was the part I was looking forward to, was seeing everybody. But didn't happen. Yeah. How was that shoot for you guys? Did you do the, the pure elevation course? Yeah, we did. We did my course on Saturday morning. Okay. Um, flowed really good until about target number eleven, a really steep downhill shot, and then we kind of got all plugged up there. But still, I mean, it wasn't more than a ten-minute wait per target, which is acceptable on a on a big shoot like that. And then we woke up at six o'clock on Sunday morning and did the pure elevation uh, course. I think I think it was eighteen hundred feet. Yeah. Up to the top of the ridge, and it was it was good. Um, you know, tough shots. Uh, real good shots. You learn a lot about your setup really, really quick um, when you're shooting, you know, 80 yards straight downhill, or you're shooting, you know, 70, 75 yards up, you know, a steep shot. And so you learn a lot about your gear, where you're at, you know, mentally. And uh, it was a good shoot. We, as a group, I think we we all shoot pretty well. Um, so it was good. I think very few few arrows were lost on it, even with as tough a course as that was. Man, I can't even tell you. Like, I, I left that shoot kind of like really fired up to get back home and keep messing with my setup. I am fortunate where I have, um, I got a couple of really big block targets, like big, big ones and that I've collected over the years, and a big 365 target and a couple 3Ds, and I have out to 100 at my, off my deck which is awesome, but it's so flat and I shoot at last light with no wind and I'm like John Dudley. I'm like, look out. And then I get over there and my site doesn't have a third axis adjustment, which I thought it did and it didn't. And I could totally tell that, uh, I was not ready for mountain shooting yet. I mean, I shot good, but I didn't shoot great. And my confidence was like, little bit like yeah. whoa my shooting mechanics are there but my setup's not so if yeah. you're listening to this and you're doing what i was doing just shooting in your backyard being a backyard all-star you might want to get some different angles and shoot uphill downhill with wear your backpack and you know your bino harness and just kind of get some perfect practice in just double yep. check uh we don't need to talk about third axis leveling here but just a real <laughs> brief like there's a couple ways to do it you can use a plumb bob and pull your bow back and have somebody look at your rest as you, you know, lower your bow up and down. Um, there's a couple, you know, every site's different on how they set that up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, take it to somebody with a bow press, 
preferably a local pro shop, not a box store, and have them you know, look at it. I think still the best way to shoot third axis is to just have a dozen arrows and go find yourself a steep angle, bring your Allen, yeah, shoot it in and shoot it yep. in. But either yep. way, back to you. We're, really the reason why I brought you on today is yeah, you're great at elk calling. You compete at elk calling. You manufacture elk calls. But what people don't know is that you've been kicking ass when it comes to taking over, not being the fat kid anymore. Exactly. And I want to talk about the success the clues left behind on your journey, where you're at, what you're doing, and what your best practices are, the discipline it takes, the buy-in from your family. It's tough when you have little kids because they have shit food laying around, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So let's get into that, if, and I'll ask you questions or interrupt you if, yeah. I, if anything comes up. So uh, we showed up, or I, we showed up. I got back from the, the tour of sportsman shows. Uh, Salt Lake City, I think, was the last one we were at, and I got home. You know, just, I don't know, randomly, I don't weigh myself very often. I got on the scale and it was like 297 point something, something. I'm like, man, I don't know if I've ever been this heavy in my life, you know? And I'm like, dang, this kind of sucks. And, uh, you know, everybody always wants to start a diet on a Monday or next week or this. And, and that next week, I think it was like a middle of Tuesday. I'm like, you know what? That's a, that's kind of a, an easy way out. That's a, let's put this off. And I'm like, if it's important enough, I'm just going to do it now. And so that morning, even that morning breakfast, I ate like crap. I don't remember what I had, but something, you know, that I would never eat now. And like that, that lunch, I went to Fred Meyer. I bought myself an avocado, um, like two chicken thighs and, and a handful of walnuts or pecans or something. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to try this, um, this keto thing. Everybody, everybody's talked about it. So I really didn't know what I was doing besides I needed to keep my macros, you know, somewhere around 65 or 70% fat at that time. Uh, you know, 25% protein and then very minimal carbs, 5%. And so I'm like, well, I know if I do an avocado, some chicken thighs and some nuts, I'm probably going to, you know, at least start, start okay. And so I just started going down that, that road. Well, I ate that day in the first couple of days. I'm like, normally if I was to eat this small, you know, small portions or this amount of food, I would just be starving, ready to gnaw my arm off. Um, you know, that's why those, the rabbit diets have never worked well for me. If I have to start restricting calories to a point where, I'm just starving like two days into it, I'll just binge eat and, and it, it all goes away. Yeah. Um, so this whole keto thing, I'm like, man, it was easy. And, and I started to learn, you know, stuff I could eat, stuff I enjoyed eating. Um, you know, whether it was ribeye steaks, whether it was, you know, eggs, stuff that I, I like to eat um, and how to incorporate that and then start to look at, at uh, you know, kind of cookbooks of stuff. So you're not just eating the same stuff over and over. But I, I kind of fell into a trap where I knew um, what I was eating, what I liked. And so I kind of got hung up on, on 10 or 15 foods. Um, you know, there was always a meal with eggs, four to six eggs a day cooked in, in or uh, ghee, a lot of coconut oil, a lot of MCT oil in my coffee, um, along with, you know, 80 20 uh, beef, ribeyes, avocados, nuts. A lot of heavy cream sauces and stuff on my food, um, but we didn't abandon like the, you know, get not diving too far in the weeds. But uh, there's some issues with keto and and kind of your your GI tract and and uh, you know so I, I kind of I didn't abandon the kale, the spinach. I made sure broccoli, all of that stuff stayed in just to kind of keep stuff moving at the beginning, um, and it was it was amazing. Uh, you know, carbo limiting carbohydrates. 
if, if you just look at the word itself, it's you know hydrating carbs basically. So you lose ten pounds of water weight, or at least a guy my size did right off the bat. And right. So instantly you feel less bloated. You you start to see positive results now. Whether everybody needs to see results right off the bat, uh, I'm like, dang, I feel good. Shirts fit better already. Right off the bat, and, you know, first two weeks I, I lost a ton of weight, which I knew in my head was all water weight, but still it's kind of like, you know, a little bit of, mo- you know, uh, a positive effect. And then within that first month, like I said, I don't weigh myself and I didn't want to weigh myself, but I noticed, all right, you know, I'm, pants are fitting a lot better, um, starting to tighten the belt a little bit better. And we and I started my, my gym journey. I had kind of left the gym for three or four years just running the company, not having enough time. Uh, with with my wife taking over the, the the management of the company, we used to carpool every day, and so that was my excuse. Like we can't get the babysitter here at four o'clock. Um, with my wife now staying home and not needing to leave until seven, now I could you know jet out of the house at four, get to the gym by five, and get my hour hour and a half workout in every morning. So that piled on top of the keto diet. You know, fast forward three and a half months, and I was down fifty pounds uh, on the spring bear hunt by the time our, our spring bear hunt came and I was feeling great. I was in full ketosis. Um, that was one of the biggest, uh, positive, positive, or, you know, the lure to the keto diet is you hear about all these, uh, I'll say world-class and not that that necessarily pertains to me, but the world-class bikers and long distance runners, um, you know, they'll do this cycle into keto kind of in their off performance time. And then they go right back to breaking PRs, um, and, and their old records on keto, there's, there's something about the way you train your muscles to fire on, on fat. You don't really ever bonk. Um, and your legs don't get heavy on you during on, and I'm like, well, dang, that makes a lot of sense from a hunting standpoint. Um, and I noticed it on the bear hunt. We, uh, just like normal, we, we spot a bear, we go after it, get away from the truck. And all I grabbed was an F bomb. And, and a little teeny bag of macadamia nuts for the entire day. And we get stuck out, never end up going back to the truck, kill a bear right before dark. And so I went like 18 hours without any food. Um, and my legs were just as strong when I got to the truck with the bear on my back as, as I did when I left the truck. Hmm. Um, so there's something to be said for the way my, at least myself. And now I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but the way my body adapted to keto and the way my legs fired um, like before when I start to bonk or my legs get heavy, you know, you grab one of those GU gels, you grab something with really quick acting sugar and you, you try to get your legs back and get some energy back where now I didn't really have to worry about that. Okay. Um, okay. I'm getting, I'm getting it now. So let's talk about your obstacles along the way. So you went from 297 to the two forties, Yep. you know, you took a 50 pound weight vest off. I challenge anyone who put 50 pounds on their backpack and wear it all day, dude, your body, your heart, everything has to work harder to pump. Yep. Plus, your body's got to create a highway, a network of capillaries to feed all these cells. So you just, yep. you just have everybody's working harder. Everything's more taxed, and it will, and it's going to affect your performance. So you drop fifty pounds. I can already tell you right now, if you took fifty pounds off of man, it's like wearing no backpack. All of a sudden, you yep. can hike that much faster. You can recover so much faster. So that's going to be huge right out the gate. Yeah. It's just the total just yeah. weight loss. Of the 50 pounds, do you know how much of it was fat versus muscle? Were you able to test your body fat pre and post? 
so I, I didn't, I didn't, I wish I would have, my gym actually has a full body composition. I wish I would have did that. I wish I would have did some blood work. Um, you know, Ryan Lampers and and Hillary, Dr. Hillary were trying to get me in there and it just, I schedule wise wouldn't work out. I really wish I could have tested. Um, the one number I do have is blood pressure. My blood pressure went down, you know, 20 plus points, um, over this, you know, whether it's from the keto, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna claim to know all that. Uh, you know, some of the, 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 you know, experts in it say that that's one of the results, you know, your blood numbers actually get better, even though you're shoving saturated fat down your, you know, down your mouth. Um, so I wish I would have did some blood pressure, some body composition, but I would just guess on strength in the gym, kind of where I started, where I came back. I I think I kind of held about even on, on muscle loss. I don't think I lost a lot of muscle, um, during that. And, And I know it's kind of impossible to cut weight and not, um, you know, not lose muscle along the way, but it could have been the, you know, kind of the, the beginner gains showing back up in the gym after five years of taking it off that kind of counteracted the weight loss, you know, get, you know, how that kind of all worked out in there. Yeah. Um, and you know, I tried to, pre- so on the keto diet, I not only did keto, but I did intermittent fasting along the way. So I tried to eat at 11 and four and then that was it. So basically a, a 19 off five on feeding window, um, and I'm like, dang, this is great, but it kind of goes against everything I've ever learned or read um, about, you know, gaining muscle and protecting that, you know, when you're in that fasted state and your nitrogen balances and all of that. Um, I used to be a nerd about this stuff. You know, you probably know way more than I do, but the little bit that I did know, I'm like, this seems way off. Um, and so what I tried to do is start protecting muscle with uh, just essential amino acids, um, taking them as soon as I get up, taking them before I go to bed. Um, and just try to protect the little bit of muscle I had during those huge cut, you know, that, that three month window of cutting. Yes. And then when you say like the essential amino acids, are you like just branch chain amino acids, like isoleucine, leucine, valine, or some other ones? A, a, a full, a full essential amino acid. Um, you know, I, I take all, all mountain ops products, but this is the one time I listened to Ben Greenfield, um, on a podcast with Joe Rogan and they, t- Ben Greenfield is you know sponsored by Keon product. And he said that they were the EAAs were balanced in a way that he believed they were way better than the branched chain amino acids. So it was a full, you know, a full makeup of of the essential amino acids with a higher concentration of the branched chain, um, you know. And so I don't know what's right or wrong, but he had said that it was a perfect uh, a perfect uh, match for you know that intermittent fasting. You know what's funny about Mr. Ben Greenfield is he lives in my town, Spokane, Washington, yep. Yep. and his brother is a member of my gym and they couldn't be any more different than each other. Uh, <laughs> I don't know Ben that well. I have talked to him a few times. He is by the looks of him. I feel like he might break in half. He's so like, he looks fragile, but yep. to his credit, he's very good at the Spartan races and he is one of the absolute smartest exercise physiology guys I've ever met. Like if he reads it, it's in his brain. He's got like one yeah. of those memories. But um, yeah. I did listen to that podcast, and he was one of those people that tested it on himself for a full year, and it did yeah. not help him in the endurance arena. And I'm in the same situation where I don't eat a ton of carbohydrates, but compared to you, I eat a ton of carbohydrates. Yeah. And my body runs on carbohydrates. I don't run yeah. off fat. I don't 
we're just different. And I think everyone needs to understand that. That's what I'm trying to bring home is like you got to figure out your DNA, your yeah, ancestry. Exactly. And see what, you know, what's going to work best for your genes to express the way they are designed to. Everyone's DNA code's different. And, yep. you know, everybody's body type's different. They have endomorphs, ectomorphs, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's just are you short and stocky? Are you tall and lanky? Are you yep. somewhere in between? And I think that's important to consider like you got to almost experiment on yourself. Darn it. I wish you had done your blood work first. Yeah. Um, You know, and I've, I listened to a lot of podcasts. Um, I don't know if you, Dominique D'Agostino kind of, he was kind of the, the godfather of keto. You know, he's got the most, you know, he did a lot of study for NASA for underwater diving, you know, the seal teams, and he's probably got the best background on keto from what I've heard. Um, and he, you know, he's monitored guys that can, you know, have 150 to 200 carbs a day, the, the high endurance, you know, CrossFitters like yourself, and they will still stay in ketosis because the body freely burns that 200 carbs and doesn't ever, you know, have much of an insulin response where a guy that's built like myself, I might not ever be able to get away with 50 carbs, no matter what I do all day. Right. It's, you know, it just depends on what your, your body's uptake is kind of what your insulin response is and all of that stuff. And so I've just, I've played it very strict and very safe and, and usually don't eat over 20 grams of carbs. Um, but there are a lot of guys out there from, from what I've read or heard that, you know, they're taking in the 150 to 200 and still staying in ketosis. How long do you think it took your body to switch from said glycolysis where your body utilizes glycogen from your liver and muscle, which is stored carbohydrate to the beta oxidation cycle, which is basically using triglycerides from fats as energy as your primary energy substrate, like, did that take a day? Did that take 21 days? Are you, yeah. do you have an I'm idea just on guessing. that? I'm just guessing. It, you know, it took me two days, two and a half days to get into ketosis, whether, you know, some people don't trust the, the, the pee sticks. Um, I had ketones in my urine and my wife could tell a huge change in, in my, uh, the breath. She says, it, it, you know, basically a medical breath, Yeah. Um, which is the acetone coming off of off of my breath from the ketone. So within two and a half days, I was in pretty solid. Um, I would say my body didn't like it until probably 28 to 30 days in. I felt like the biggest pile of crap yep. ever from day two to like 28. And it, uh, you know, they talk about the keto flu. I never got any of that stuff. I, I was smart. I drank all kinds of bone broth, all kinds of chicken and beef broth, um, put tons of salt on everything um, to counteract you know, that keto flu, but I didn't feel good endurance or strength wise, uh, until probably 30 days in, um, until I, I would say I was adapted and then it, things still kept improving probably for that whole next month. I would say probably two months until I, I was really comfortable and my body kind of figured out how to, to deal with the ketones and, and burn them efficiently and effectively. So you went um, total nerd on, I mean, you did your due diligence, you really researched what you needed to do. I mean, I think that's important for people to understand that are considering going on this attack is oh, yeah. to do it the right if you're going to do it do it right and the other thing to consider is a guy can take and eat you know store-bought salami and stay in ketosis which is great but i also like realized blue cheese dressing and you know after the first couple of weeks i was in i'm like man this and you start to read and there's like quality of fats you know your your ghee your coconut oils your olive oils you the there's a quality to the fat versus don't just throw salami and a bunch of weird stuff down i you know, i'll still been binge eat or you know kind of treat myself to that stuff that tastes good every once in a while but 
you know, the quality of food, you know, cage-free eggs since you're eating six to eight eggs a day. So I tried to really pay attention, like, all right, let's, let's do keto, but let's try to make it as healthy and, and good food choices as possible. Yeah, so um, you also mentioned MCT oils, those mid-chain triglyceride. Uh, wh- who turned you on to those? That's obviously a great idea and a very fabulous fat. Like, how did you – who turned you on to those? So that's like the whole Bulletproof coffee. Like, everybody, um, you know, it turns into ketones very fast. And especially during – now, I'm not going to sit and argue whether I think, you know, uh, MCT actually takes you out of your fast or not because your body effectively – you know, so effectively turns it into energy that they say it doesn't actually – um, you know, exhibit a, a gut response or, a, you know, a, a response to break it down. Um, but I knew that I felt really good. I could get mental clarity out of it. And so a lot of times I would just take it with my coffee in the morning um, or anytime I wanted to mix it in. It, I could definitely, it was one of those things where I could feel the impact of MCT. Um, and then most of your keto blogs, most of your keto podcasts talk about it somewhere in the mix. Um, so early on, I realized um, you know, it was good for keto. I will caution, and I did not read about the disaster that can come from MCT oil. Start at like a quarter dose, and then go to for a couple of days, then go to a half a dose, and then go to the full dose, or you will have all kinds of stomach issues that yes. come on uh, fast and strong. And uh, I didn't know what the heck happened um, that first day, and then I uh, better Google this, and sure enough, good old Google. What did we do without? <laughs> we we did um, do without Google. Yeah, back in the day. And so the only complications I had through keto the entire time, um, I got what was called a keto rash. um, And I, of course, Googled that a couple days in. I'm like, what in the heck is going on with my chest? And, uh, you know, I ended up with this bad rash and it just drove me absolutely nuts. Um, And come to find out it's because all of the heavy metals, all of the bad stuff gets stored in your fat. Yes. And so when your body tries to get rid of it all as fast as it can, your, your, your body can't break it down and deal with it fast enough, and it somehow shows through a rash. The best that, you know, there's not a whole lot of information on it, but all I know is for sure I got a rash, and it drove me nuts. Um, and so I did some research, some reading, and I ended up supplementing with a bile salts or ox bile and then a digestive enzyme like lipo gold that was specifically meant for uh, fat with a lot of lipase in it. And so when I went on that, I paired that before every meal with high fat. And within a couple of days, I had started to clear up my rash. So sustainability wise, is this something that you think you can commit to as a way of life? It sounds like it, but just to confirm. For sure. Hunting is going to be tough, especially backpack hunting. Um, it's going to be a lot of nuts, a lot of oils and stuff. But I, I plan on it. You know, I'm not going to get way out in the weeds, but there are so many more so-called health benefits. I can't say for sure if they're there or not. Um, you, you listen to the experts, but there's so many other good things that come from keto. I'm going to probably write it out as long as I can, as long as I can stay healthy and eat healthy foods. If I have to start resorting to bacon and, and salami for every other meal or every day to get through, I might have to rethink. Um, I tell you, I don't know how much you want to get into it. I started to feel weak in the gym and I kind of experimented the last 45 days with something different, um, called the carnivore diet. Let's um, do it. Which I really think I could stick to. It gets expensive. but uh, So let's fast forward. Three months into keto, the weight is just peeling off, and I'm getting pretty pissed off in the gym because my numbers aren't coming back um, to where they were back when I lifted heavy in 2012. Um, you know, I'm a fairly big guy. sit at 6'5", about 200. I was sitting about 240 pounds. I'm like, dang, my, my, uh, my lift should be better than this, You know, whether it's squat, whether it's bench, whether it's whatever I do, like the, the strength just wasn't coming back. 
and about that time, I started listening to some podcasts, the keto podcast that started to interview uh, people on this carnivore diet. And uh, you listen to it, and you're like, really? Can it be that simple? You eat red meat, fatty red meat, and water, and that's it. I'm like, well, how can that work? You're gonna, you know, you hear everybody, you're gonna get scurvy, you're gonna get all this other stuff, and um, you know, one of the lines that stuck with me was, you, know, you got to experiment for yourself and see what works for you. Um, and I'm like, well, what? I mean, if something goes bad, we'll just, we'll, you know, we'll stop, or hopefully I don't die, and and we'll just go, we'll go back to what I was doing before. And so I, I loaded up on ribeyes and you know a, a carton of eggs here or there and a little bit of um, you know fatty cheese uh, and and started it and that's really all I ate for 45 days was ribeyes 80 20 beef uh, you know maybe a couple dozen eggs and a little bit of cheese over that entire 45 day stretch. Oh wow! Um, you know water, salt, and and meat. And I, I'm not going to lie, I've never, ever felt stronger in my life. And, and some of the other stuff, the side effects were amazing. Like mental clarity was, was off the charts. Like my focus was off the charts. And then like joint pain was completely gone, um, you know, whether it was hiking, whether it was lifting, um, just day to day. And then just overall mood, like it's tough to put a, uh, you know, it's easy to say I, I was benching, you know, 225 and my bench went up to 285. Uh, you know, that's, that's an easy number to say, but it's hard to put like a a number on what my overall mood was, but I won't, I would say it was definitely positive. Like it, and it was, uh, you know, measurable in some way or fashion. Like I just felt good, um, for that entire 45 days, um, strength went way up, whether it was, you know, deadlifts, uh, squats, bent all the way around, um, you know, body composition. And I don't, I don't want to sound like a Delta Bravo here, but like just in the, in the mirror, like there was noticeable noticeable change in a very short amount of time dude that's pretty cool so you are just kind of trying to figure out what's going to work best for you and you're not afraid to try something different i like that as well yeah i'm going to go back to kind of what i've learned that's worked for people so i've been coaching fitness for i don't know a long time now i guess 18 years and no matter what you decide you got to stick with it Make some small adjustments along the way as your body will tell you what to do. But it's more about that low trajectory, long-term solution that you can sustain. You know, a keto for three months and then being done, you're going to gain weight back. So when people ask me personally, I usually tell them, sure, try it. But be prepared for your body to maybe fight against you a little bit. And then you got to be willing to actually like stick to it for at least, I'd say, 12 weeks straight. To yep. see really to get through those darker days, and then there will be light in the tunnel at the end. But no matter what you do, at CrossFit we say eat meats first, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, zero sugar. So let's break that down. So meats, lean sources of meat. The less legs it has, the better. Yep. And then vegetables. Vegetables are like a free food. You can't. You can. Not get no one ever ate got fat eating a gallon of spinach for dessert. Like you just can't eat enough vegetables. Like there's no yep. too much, and they're filled with so much phytonutrients and vitamins, and they're just so nutrient dense, and they're gonna help with all the things you need them to do at the cellular level. And then the next thing was seeds. That's a good fat. That's all they're saying is you know yep. 
nuts and seeds are just good, healthy fats that are going to... Fat is a suitcase that helps carry nutrients throughout your body. Fat will make you feel fuller, faster, so satiety. Fat will trigger that hormone cystokinocolon, CCK, which will like forget the fancy term, but just makes you feel full faster. And then it said, so eat meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit. So some fruit, not all fruit is created equal. Some fruits break down faster than the other. Any fruit with the last name berry is going to break down slower. Uh, Apples are good, apricots, peaches, things with with skin to them. But like um, the one fruit that we try to avoid is like craisins, raisins, bananas. Those break down really fast. Those will spike your insulin levels. And then starches. Super high high glycemic index on those ones. Starches is listed way, way down there on purpose. And I think people need to understand starches can be good starches from like yams, sweet potatoes, some other potatoes, squashes, things like that. But you don't want your starches from refined sugar and enriched flour and bread and pastas and you know zero sugar sugar is the one drug that nobody really wants to talk about but that is in everything never drink your calories from sugar never try to get sugar from anything but your fruit and and no matter what food plan you follow i still think that hierarchy of meat vegetables nuts and seeds is like the cornerstone to longevity feeling good when it comes to hunting though jason it's pretty tough to eat healthy you're at such a caloric deficit because i don't know about you but when you're elk hunting it seems like you never stop moving um and it's an all-day marathon day after day so have you looked at any of those freeze-dried milled options out there like what do you think you're going to put in your pack You've had to have had a little bit of thought about it because you're going to be hunting out yeah. the backpack. Break that down for us. That's what we're going to segue into is, okay, cool. This is all works for out of hunting season, but we're coming up to hunting season. What should we put in our packs? Yeah. So, you know, right back to Google, I'm like, how do you do this? Is this even a possibility? Um, and, and they kind of lead you to the through hikers. And one thing that through hikers do eat a lot, and it, it, it may be getting a little bit trashy on the, on the health food side, um, but a lot of the through hikers, you know, always carry a big chunk of dry salami and a big chunk of dry cheese, uh, you know, really uh, hard cheeses. And I'm like, well, dang, I can, I can definitely, you know, build the, build my backcountry diet around that um, extremely high, um, you know, calorie density in those foods. Um, we're going to probably rely heavily on macadamia nuts, um, you know, pecans. Um, maybe a couple of the pre-packaged like F-bombs, um, basically just a macadamia nut butter with some oil in it. Um, well, one thing that guys like Lampers and those guys have, have talked about and have always kind of wrote it off, but now it's starting to make a lot of sense. Um, you know, just doing your own little seal and packets of coconut oil, maybe mixed half and half with some almond butter. Um, you know, and then when you're ready to cut it open, you've got 200 calories, you know, you can quickly take, um, and, and it's going to be pretty light. And so it will be pretty heavy on, on oils, you know, but the nice thing is, and I was able to test it a couple times is my energy and my muscles work just as good in a fasted state as they do, um, with a bunch of fuel behind me. So as long as I don't go in as a skinny bean pole, which I'm, I'm not there yet. Um, I can afford to maybe, you know, live in a calorie deficit without it really affecting my, my mindset or my physical performance. So where, you know, a guy that's living on carbs may say, Hey, I need to go in with 3,500, 
uh, calories a day or 4,000 calories a day on an elk hunt to stay, you know, fed and make sure my muscles are fed. I'm going in like, well, I probably get by with 2,000 calories, 2,500 calories, afford to lose a little bit of weight and it won't affect my, my uh, physical, you know, performance. Uh, so I'm looking at some of that. Now, I still think I want to be around 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day, even, you know, because a guy my size is going to be burning probably 5,000 plus on a hunt. I don't really want to lose more than three quarters of a pound a day on these hunts. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be experimentation. There's going to be some, some learning involved. Um, but between the MCT oils, the coconut oils, um, you know, the olive oils, uh, I think, you know, we'll do a lot of nuts, um, salami, cheese. Um, we've even looked at doing like the fathead doughs, like the, the keto doughs, maybe baking some bread and just sealing them in with some bacon. Yes. Uh, um, you know, doing some stuff that may be a little bit out, but I think would last, especially if they're cooked, you know, a day or two before I leave for a hunt. Yeah. You just can't load up on Costco protein bars and, and mountain houses. I just think that extra step of being mindful and, and literally putting in, I don't know, four or five hours in the kitchen could potentially pay off big time because if you can hunt elk the way you did for that bear you know and run off fat as your primary energy source beta oxidation cycle i mean that's huge man and that's yeah that's cool i I think that your journey should inspire people the takeaways are try intermittent fasting it's a specific amount of time in the day in the 24-hour cycle that you can eat and it also will keep you disciplined on not snacking outside of those windows. The other thing would be keto or carnivore diet, whatever. Either way, maybe mess with both or find a hybrid. And then you got yep. me preaching the meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, zero sugar. You can kind of find what works for you. And then in the gym, it sounds like you're doing some big lifts, some conditioning. I didn't really want to dive too much into your workout. It sounds like you're just yeah. you're doing stuff consistently at balls early in the morning which yep. takes a lot of discipline, which is where I wanted to end this podcast on, is how are you able to take the high road when the low road is so attractive and it's seductive to be lazy? So yeah. give us the clues that have been left behind there. Uh, so a question was brought up, and, and I don't know if it was a couple weeks into my journey or before. Um, it was a question, would you take discipline or would you take motivation? Um, and, and everybody always talks about these motivational videos or the motivation to do this or the motivation to do that. And the answer, I don't, it may even have been Jocko, matter of fact, that, that posed that question or somebody. It's discipline. Um, and it's, he, discipline. it's not even yeah, a question. I, yeah, he's like, you, you can have your motivation because it fluctuates. That's something that you either have it or you don't one day. Well, what about the day you don't have any motivation? Does that mean you get to skip the gym? Does that mean you get to eat like crap? And uh, so he's like, discipline every day because regardless of whether you want to do it, or regardless of whether you feel like doing it, when you have the discipline, you're going to do it, regardless of what you feel like, regardless of where your motivation's at. And I took that, and I really haven't let go of it yet. Like the days where I don't feel like getting up to the gym, or it's like, well, I don't got to be as work, you know, at work as early. Let's not set the alarm for 4:20 uh, in the morning so I could be at the gym by five. Um, it's like discipline carries me to to set that alarm at 4:20, click the button, and get up and, and you know put my gym shorts on every morning. Um, and, and some of the reasons why I need to stay disciplined, um, you know, it's like the underlying, nobody ever wants to think about like, you're going to die, but I'm like, dang, regardless of whether I'm six foot five, 300 pounds, isn't good on anybody. Like, you know, I want to see, 
you know, I want to have a, a healthy life. I don't want to, you know, there's guys that live to 100 but have health complications forever. Um, I don't want to be that guy that strokes out when I'm 50 because I've lived a life at 300 pounds forever. Um, and and just, I mean, you know as an elk hunter, I know as an elk hunter, um, I feel way better. It's way more enjoyable to be in the woods at a, you know, when I can get around better, when I'm, you know, when I'm as strong as I can be, when I've got the best cardio I have, it makes the entire hunt that much funner. Um, and so that was really my whole idea, uh, you know, behind staying disciplined, um, you know, putting my, put my best self on the mountain. And as I, you start to look at it, I'm 35, which by a lot of people's, you know, standards is still fairly young, but you only get so many prime years. And then, you know, I've, I've watched it in my old man. I've watched it in my uncles. Um, eventually you're gonna have to start tailoring things back. You know, there's some, there's some, uh, you know, freaks that continue to hunt hard and do the backpack thing, you know, 60s into the 70s but i'd say the vast majority start to kind of tailor their hunts to um you know their fitness or their 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 fitness goals kind of falling off or where they're at their level falling off and i wanted to if nothing else just extend how long i get to do the the spike out hunts how long i get to hang out in the wilderness and and do it the way i like to do it um so that's kind of the underlying reasons why i've i you know i i stay disciplined um you know I'm going to say motivate. It's easy to be disciplined when you're motivated. Um, but, but relying on, on that discipline is, is made sure that I haven't you know cheated a single day since I started this diet four months ago. I haven't missed a single day in the gym that I've, I've been available. Um, you know, so, so it's, it's been huge to stay, stay disciplined. Um, you know, set that goal at the beginning and just stick to it. Yeah. I, I think elk hunting teaches you a lot about yourself. I don't, think a lot of people that don't elk hunt could understand that but you're an elk hunter you get it what comes easy won't last what lasts won't come easy and the best memories of hunting is the last day bull you grind it out or the day you went up over that basin you didn't want to there was a ton of elevation but you did it and it paid off i mean hunting teaches you so much about yourself and you get tested to see really really at your core what what, do you have the character to really put yourself in a position to kill an elk every day that you have available to you and they are finite jason like literally we could probably add up the number of days we're hunting and versus the number of days we're alive it's such a tiny percentage of our life and so to squander a second in the mountains is foolish and you can do so much away from the mountains to make yourself mentally tougher so your mental toughness and the discipline that you're on do you feel like they have a relationship that's harmonious do you feel like you have gotten mentally tougher through the sacrifice and discipline on your keto journey if so how's that going to pay off in the mountains this year for sure i mean you could tie it you know you could tie your hunts into your uh you know physical training into into life in general um you know i I don't want to uh you know I don't want to make the sound worse than it is, but you know, running this call company and having an, another job at the same time is very stressful. And you feel like many times when you're sitting on 800 diaphragm ordered that has to go out in a couple of days, like it's impossible. And then you remember back when you were climbing that 3000 foot basin wall to get into the next one, that it was impossible. And then you're like, you know, I was at the gym the other day trying to do 300 floors within 45 minutes on the stepper mill and that seemed impossible. 
And then you kind of get through all of them and you're like, well, dang, nothing's really impossible. Like I've been in this situation, whether it was physically before I've been in this situation where it was complete, you know, my mind playing tricks on me and trying to say you can't do it. And so I think between hunting, between, uh, you know, physical fitness, whether, you know, how hard you're pushing yourself when you don't think you can, um, or just life in general, that the mental side of it and, and the mental side of physical fitness versus the physical side versus the mental side of hunting, they all tie together. And, and that's why, uh, I'm actually kind of embarrassed. I went away from it cause I was at a point physically in 2012, 13, where I thought that, you know, it was all tied together and, and I knew it at that I'm smart enough to know, um, how my body feeds off of, uh, you know, pushing yourself that hard every day to, to let it slip. And now to come back around and kind of see it come back. Um, it, it just all kind of ties in uh, to yourself as a person, whether it's hunting, physical, mental, um, just your everyday tasks in life. You, you just kind of realize um, you've been here before, you can push through it, and, uh, you know, just it, it's kind of that grind. You're eventually going to make it, and you're not probably going to die from it. Yeah, definitely. So where do you draw motivation? Do you have, like, a buddy you work out with where it's, like, kind of a set-in-stone date that you guys both need to be at the gym at this time, and so you don't want to let them down? I mean – Give us like a couple of just quick little tips uh, from the hip, how to stay motivated besides the discipline, because the discipline is what it is, but there are ways to draw some motivation to what you're looking at. So I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way. Like I don't draw a whole lot of motivation from, from certain people or, you know, certain accounts. You know, I I pay attention to Gary Vee a little bit, some of his stuff, but some of his stuff is a little bit, he doesn't necessarily pertain to, to what I do, you know, some of his catchy phrases, you know, make sense at times, yeah. but I draw, I draw my own inspiration and my own discipline comes from like my failures and, and like, all right, you, you were in the best shape of your life in 2012. At one point you've hunted the last four years out of shape and just reflecting back, like you should have did this, or if you were in better shape, you would have did that. And a lot of times, um, you know, when I'm grinding it out on a stepper mill or when I'm trying to row 5,000 meters and I'm, you know, not really digging the last 2000 meters, um, it, I kind of always just kind of float back to the mountains and, you know, picture myself on a mountain. Like, do you want to climb that thing, um, and have time to get to that bowl? Or do you want to, you know, uh, throw in the towel at this point? And as stupid as it sounds is as cliche as it sounds, that's kind of where I draw my discipline. Like I, I want to put myself in a position, um, that, that were, you know, it wasn't the physical conditioning that caused me to not tag that bowl. You know, it was the wind or it was something, another hunter, something besides, um, you know, letting my physical fitness be the crutch uh, on why I may have not, may or may not have been successful at some point. Definitely agree. You got to control the controllables. That's yeah. your thoughts slash attitude. And it's your effort. You can't always control the outcome. And so you set these big goals you set the small goals that lead to the big goal and you work towards them day in and day out and you stay disciplined and you just control your effort, your attitude, and you'll look back and you'll see how far you've come, what you've accomplished. But if you didn't kill a bull, don't have it be because you weren't in shape or you were mentally weak or your equipment, yeah. you didn't check your equipment. I mean, all those little things that you can control, you know, you should be paranoid yeah. In a healthy way, but you should almost be paranoid about controlling those. And then, I mean, the wind is the wind is what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the hunting pressure is what it is. The elk are going to do what the elk are going to do. You can't control that. But yeah. um, I think that's important. I think this whole podcast we've recorded is good, man. I don't think you've you've been on a ton of podcasts. 
talking about elk calling. Yet yep. I think this is some of the best information out there because it gets overlooked. Yeah. No, it's it's been huge. And, and you know, and some of the as we say, we weren't going to talk too much about killing elk, but we always talk about you know some factors that that I think add up. And the, one of the things, and, and we see it on the internet every day, social media. As a matter of fact, there was a post last night on elk addicts, or is it September yet? Somebody arguing about physical fitness and, and, you know, if you need to be in that good a shape, then you're not a very good elk hunter and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hold on. So I, I never come out and say one thing. Like, I don't say elk calling is what matters most or elk hunting knowledge. I will say elk hunting knowledge, I think, is the most important. But my response to those guys is, it may not be required. Like I can, I've killed elk at dang near 300 pounds. Like it, I've relied on some other things, but I could have killed that same elk at 230 pounds and been, you know, been the same person. But on those years where, uh, you know, I wasn't in good enough shape to get to the next basin and that could have been my gimme bowl or the bowl that came in on a string, physical fitness will never, ever make you a worse elk hunter is, is my response to those guys. Like, yeah, it may not be required. But show me a guy that's in better shape and tell me that that's actually going to hurt his chances at harvesting a bull or getting to the spot he wants to. Like, it's just some of those arguments. I'm like, you know, I was a fat kid, so I can say I can, you know, I, I feel like I'm uh, I'm able to say this. But it's like, you know, that's the guy making an excuse for why he's not in shape. You know, yeah, you can still kill something, but um, don't don't put everybody down for wanting to be in shape and, and being the best they can be. I encourage anyone who is anti-training and still has listened to this podcast up to this point to stay on their path. And I will pass you in the long run. I will hunt longer. I will have more enjoyable hunts. I'll have more experiences in God's country than you ever will. It may take you, you know, you may kill your elk every year, but there's, you know, I just think your trajectory is not at the same angle as mine. And, um, and I feel sorry for you really. So, um, (laughs) I do and your family. And I feel like you as a man owe it to your family. You owe it to your hunting partners you owe it to the animals that you're hunting to be the best version of yourself and to come out of the mountains even better, you know, almost purified, almost cleaned of all the grossness that the real world does to you day in and day out. You come out of the mountains the best version of yourself with so much clarity as to what truly matters, where you really need to put your energy, the things that you could do better in your life. Dude, these are all things that really happen year in and year out. And uh, yep. yeah, shame on anyone who's preaching anti-fitness for hunting. You, I invite you to come with me one day and just see all the amazing things that I can get done in a day. That have nothing to yep. do with hunting, but they have everything to do with hunting. And yep. like I'm thinking today right now, I got up, I went and set up a competition. That means like moving thousands upon thousands of pounds of equipment to a venue, set it up. I also, I've been to Costco already. I've also been to the hardware store and picked up, you know, 20 bags of concrete. I got a podcast uh, right after this one with somebody else. And when I get done with that, I'm going to pour some concrete slabs tonight and I'm going to work on my four wheeler <laughs> and my dirt bike and my wife's dirt bike. And I'm going to get yeah. it all ready for hunting season. And all that takes a lot of energy and discipline. And I just don't think, you know, there is no time for Netflix or YouTube or to work out my thumb on Instagram. I got stuff to get done. And I think yep. the more fitter you are, the more productive you are with this gift of life you've been given. So sorry to yep, go off on a exactly. tangent there, but that's, I just got no, no. room for that's that. All good. All good stuff there. Yeah, man. Well, yep. 
Jason, you're busy. Thank you so much. Can't wait to try out that new bugle tube when they get here. And yeah. uh, where can people follow you and keep up to date with your exciting fall hunts and your projects you got going on? So uh, PhelpsGameCalls.com is where, where the product's at. Following myself and then my uh, my partner's journey, um, my business partners, uh, Angry Mountain Productions, we've got a, you know that 15, 15 hunt, 150-day plus or minus um, series coming out, Angry Mountain Productions on Instagram or Facebook. And then I've got Phelps Game Calls on Instagram and Facebook as well, as well as, uh, you know, my, my personal Facebook page. And then I try to hang out on some of the, uh, the elk hunting, uh, forums on, on Facebook, whether it's elk addicts or is it September yet? And some of those. So I, I try to be readily available if anybody has questions or just wants to chat elk hunting in general. Perfect. I will right. uh, keep track of you, brother. Stay in, uh, hope to get a text from you from Colorado with the big yeah. pull down and uh, I hope, hope so you too. have the best experiences you've ever had because you're an animal man and I just want to congratulate you on your success really proud thanks. of you thanks thanks yeah good luck this year Dan and uh, good luck to everybody else out there this year all right man take care All thanks right, for take, your time good. yeah take care bye, bye.